This episode of Remnant Radio is brought to you in part by our sponsors at Kairos Classrooms. Have you ever thought about learning a biblical language as a supplemental tool in your biblical studies? Well, Kairos Classrooms offers real classroom environments with with classmates and a live instructor who can help teach you biblical languages, both Greek and Hebrew. You need to check out Kairos Classrooms today. Uh, The price for a single semester is crazy affordable for anyone, so check out the links in the description and use promo code REMNANT to get 10% off Kairos Classrooms. Check out Kairos Classrooms today. Discount code R-E-M-N-A-N-T, REMNANT, to get 10% off your semester. Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of Remnant Radio. I'm excited today. We're interviewing Matt. He he does the 10-minute Bible hour. He goes and uh, does a lot of interviews in different churches and different denominations. I just invited him to come on the show. I want to know about him and his ministry. It's going to be a cool show. Uh, you guys stay tuned. You are watching The Remnant Radio, a crowd-funded show where we interview pastors, teachers, historians, and theologians from different churches and denominations. My name is Joshua Lewis, and this is my co-host, Michael Roundtree. Together, we want to help you break outside of your theological echo chambers. If you're interested in learning about history, theology, or the gifts of the Spirit, this is the show for you. Hey guys, thank you so much. I know many of you have been waiting for this episode. Uh, You're waiting for it a couple of weeks ago when we tried to go live, but my power cord wasn't charging my computer. I don't know how many times I can use that excuse. It's like you only have so many grandmas. If you keep saying your grandma dies, you're going to run out of excuses here pretty soon. Uh, uh, But uh, I want to remind everyone, if you've been blessed by this episode or future episodes and you want to help contribute to the ministry, we're entirely crowdfunded. So if you want to give, there are links in the description for PayPal and Patreon. Uh, If you give there on uh, PayPal, it's a one-time gift. But if you want to give on Patreon, it can be a reoccurring gift as low as five bucks a month. It gives you access to really cool content like a book club we're doing on the Kingdom of the Cults with Walter Martin. Uh, have a bunch of our guys reading these books. Then we're jumping on. I think 30 or 40 of us getting on uh, Patreon on a Zoom link. And we're just discussing that chapter this week. We're going through Mormonism. Uh, we read the first half of it last week. We're going to finish out the chapter this week. You don't have to read all the former chapters. Just tackle that chapter and you can join us this Saturday at 1 p.m. Central Standard Time. Without further ado, uh, really excited excited to introduce Matt. Uh, Matt, tell us a little bit about yourself and your ministry for people who might not be super familiar with you. Yeah, ministry. Um, every now and then I hear it called that. I, I suppose that works. I don't know. I just have a YouTube channel and podcast, man. I'm some guy that bought a microphone and set up some foam panels and made a fort in my basement. And then I talk into the microphone, I put it on the internet and I hope people listen. I'm really just trying to do an educational thing, trying to baseline the facts about what the Bible says, what different people think about what the Bible says, the history of theology. And I don't know, I want to do it in a way that is accessible, not just to people who think like I think. And so I've been really honored to be surrounded by an audience of people who think very different things and are coming at this from a perspective of skepticism, even outright rejection, but still friendly collegiality and an interest in understanding theology, Christianity, the Bible, religion, et cetera as well as people from all different walks of, of different Christian expressions. So I do stuff where I talk directly about the Bible and try to think through what the passage means, what the most natural read on the passage might be, how different people have read it historically. And then I try and do some fun stuff dealing with church history and theology and business like that. And then I do this business where I go around to other people's churches that are different from the church that I go to. And I bring a camera and I point at things and I ask the obvious questions that I think any normal person, if they felt like they had the freedom <laughs> to ask, would want to ask. 
to understand why different people do it different ways. And, and those have been a, a blast. Yeah. And I, what, I, what I really like about your channel is I feel like there's a lot of um, cross-section in like demographics as far as Remnant Radio, which is the reason I wanted to bring you on. Typically, when we have people on, we discuss a specific subject. Like we'll have William Lane Craig on and let's tackle penal substitution or N.T. Wright comes on to come talk about the new heavens and new earth. Uh, but, but really, I, I wanted to invite you on because I think that my audience would really benefit if they're not aware of you and what you do, uh, just because what you're inviting people into is an opportunity just to learn history and theology in kind of a non-violent setting. Um, it's non-combative, you know? We've got all these theology channels where it's like, this is what is true, and then also I'm going to beat up everyone who disagrees with me. Uh, and I really enjoy the kind of, I don't know, uh, learning different things in uh, uh environments that are non-combative is what I'm trying to say. I think we get so much of that in like the political spaces where it's like, I'm right and everyone's wrong. And there's just kind of this anger that's behind it. Uh, and to be able yeah. to introduce people to spaces that are just kind of like cool and collective and calm. Like, well, how did you start this? Well, how did you get into it? What was your inspiration? I was working at a church and it was a church in Western Wyoming out toward Jackson's a national park territory, very remote. It's the Alaska of the lower 48. Beautiful town, really neat mountain town. But if you want to run to Home Depot and back, it's five hours. And so the attendance at this really nice sized church in this small town was such that if somebody attended two weeks out of the month, that was pretty good because you got to go shop on weekends. You, you got to go, if you want to go anywhere, it's the whole weekend. And so that was just the reality of the rhythm of our church. And yet at the same time, I felt like I want to do the thing where we go right through books of the Bible so as to eliminate my own selection biases, because even if I handle a text as unbiased as possible, I still picked the text. And in picking the text, I can theoretically, I could steer an entire church toward my preferred understanding of a thing in, in a weird way. But I, I, I really don't want to do that. I used to think I knew all the stuff. And the more I think maybe I don't know all this stuff, the more interested I am in trying to understand the text by its own merits. So we would go through these huge swaths of Bible for two and three years at a time on each book. And I found that it was hard for people to catch up. So somewhere when I was working on Luke or Acts, I must have been Acts, I started a, a series that I named the 10 Minute Bible Hour because I thought it'd be funny and people would get the joke. It's inside baseball. I, I probably should have picked something different. But I started doing these little 10-minute vignettes. They're like the quick version of the sermon, but without the part where we do application or what do you do with this? What do you take from this? I kind of felt like, oh, if you wanted to do that, that was more of an in-house conversation. You would have needed to have been at church that week. But we can keep you up to speed on the narrative. We can keep you up to speed on the theological questions and different people's perspectives on it. And so people from church started watching it to keep up on things. And then more people started watching it. And then more people started watching it. And then it got kind of weird and I felt like I needed to do, um, well, I, I needed to move pretty quick and make a lot more content and the thing just kept growing. And then I got done with my first book of the Bible, which was Acts. And I had a billion things saved up that I wanted to talk about beyond that. And then things really took off. And then eventually I added a podcast, a daily podcast of the same name where we go through the book of Matthew 10 minutes at a time. And in all of it, the uh, original impulse stuck, which was, you don't need another thing on the internet where I have solved everything and I tell you how all the things are, mm -hmm. what would be helpful would be a little bit more of a baseline read. And we maintain that tone by 
leaving in the screw ups, acting like normal humans, fart jokes, things like that. And so that, that's Praise always God. kind of been in the DNA of the thing. And I, I think it's been fun. Please do not take that to mean, though, that if people hold deep convictions and they want their whole channel or their whole thing to be about articulating those deep convictions, that I think that is dumb or bad. Right. It's just right. there's I think there's plenty of that. I mean, there, yeah. there's a lot of people who really, really believe things and want to explain all of the nuance and complexity of every degree of those beliefs. I say that's great, but I know that for the outsider looking in, who's trying to size up what, what Christians believe, what Christianity is, what the Bible is, what it would look like for them to be a part. I don't usually find it to be the most profitable to have them start with a very narrow version of this specific brand of Protestantism that dates to 1791 in Kentucky, and it has to be this way, that's overwhelming for somebody on the front end. Just give me the baseline stuff. And then if I disagree with you, I'm disagreeing with you using your language, and we're at least talking about the same stuff. And if I come to agree with you, then eh, I'll think through exactly where I want to plug in and what I want to do a little bit later on. So I, I occupy that weird space. Now, you say, you say baseline stuff, but I, I watch... What, I, what I'm most fascinated with is when you show up at a Lutheran church or an Anglican church or an Eastern Orthodox church and you, you set up, like you said, set up your camera and you're talking to these guys about their sacraments or about their architecture, about all these different little, I mean, different little massive, if, if those three examples, I mean, their architecture is quite, quite grand. Uh, and then you're asking them those kinds of theological questions. That doesn't seem so much baseline, you know? It doesn't seem so much like <laughs> the basics of the Christian faith as much as it is all that historical stuff that you've branched into. Um, can you unpack some of that for us and, and why? Um, because because it is accessible. Like I say, it's, it doesn't feel baseline, but, but in the same token, I feel like anyone can watch those videos that are 30 minutes, an hour long, two hours, whatever. You know, I think you might have, you know, 30 minutes, 30 minutes, 30 minutes on, on just one church, uh, just talking mm -hmm. about the architecture, just talking about like their theology, those kinds of things. And uh, man, it, it's so accessible. Uh, do you find that church history is a good way for people to learn? Is that why you've chosen to use that? Well, yeah, it lowers the stakes because if you disagree with something, somebody thought in, Germany in 1520, that's a lot different than disagreeing with somebody who just burned you down in a Reddit comment 10 yeah. seconds ago. Sure, sure. And so, and so yeah, There's no pushback what I want to do when guys. I talk about politics, theology, history, sports, anything is have an opinion, have convictions, and at the same time, just ratchet down the tension a little bit. Yeah. And if we can do that, we're in for probably a more productive conversation. So I think you and I are actually using the term baseline a little differently. Okay. What I don't mean by that is simple. Okay. What I do mean by that is, okay, before we get into all the nuance and disagreement and accusations about, no, that term means this. No, it means this. Just what do the people who use the term think it means? Let's get a That's baseline good. of facts that we can agree on, like the discovery phase of a trial where we say, all right, you might think that continental reformed theology is idiotic, but let's make sure we understand what we're talking about when we say continental reformed theology first. Mm -hmm. You might think that lower criticism debases the Bible and that God accomplished what he need, needed to with the English version of the Bible under King James. Okay, well, let's just baseline what we mean by the King James version of the Bible. Let's baseline what we mean by lower criticism and manuscript evidence so that at least we're debating the same stuff. And I find that a lot of times 
our conversations in the, the Christian age of the internet break down before we ever actually talk about the same topic because we're talking about two or three different things and then we get into the fights and we're more worried yeah. about the final outcome than any of that. So for me, when I go to one of those churches, I'm going so I can make new friends and understand somebody else's position well enough that I can represent it like they would represent it. I didn't come away from my visit to a Missouri Synod Lutheran church as a Missouri Synod Lutheran, but I like it and I get it <laughs> and it makes a ton of sense to me and how it all fits together now. And I'm hoping that for the audience member, I'm hoping that most people watch that and that's their reaction as well. Well, I can't write them off as crazies anymore. Like I could see how they would come to those conclusions and they would read it that way. And I feel like I could repeat back to someone what Missouri Synod Lutherans think about stuff now. Yeah, so uh, one, we do this stuff a lot. So I'll have a Presbyterian, an Anglican, a Lutheran. They'll come on. Sometimes they'll talk about their history, history, history of Wesleyanism, you know, the history of the Pentecostal movement. Somebody will come on, be a Presbyterian, talk about, you know, uh, how they use infant baptism versus a Lutheran who's coming on, talk about regenerative baptism, um, all these different little elements. And by just associating with these people, I, I get kind of like blacklisted as you know, the heretic who's trying to unify all of these different, <laughs> how much of that have you come into and how do you navigate that space, man? No, I'm not laughing because of that. I'm laughing because of a joke I thought of from the other day. No, I'm laughing because of that. <laughs> I resonate completely, Josh. I, overwhelmingly, people are awesome. And look, no disrespect to people who comment. Thank you. Most of the people who comment on my channel, you're just awesome. But there's still something to be said about the commenting public and how that self-select. Most people don't comment on things. The math says so. Some people are like, man, the comment section is screwed up. I'm going to go in there and be redemptive every time. You yeah. all are great. Some people are like, you know, I, I wish I had more people in my life to talk to about this, but I don't. And I just watched this video here. So I'll just throw this out right here. And it's a goodwill and it's wonderful. And you're great. Thank you for commenting. Other people... <laughs> I don't think, I just, I don't think life is going very well. I think they have very deep hurts that would be evident immediately if we were in person together, but are not evident immediately in the same way when it, our inter interaction is mediated by a keyboard and the internet and a lot of that hurt and a lot of that anger and the backstory, the disappointment the insecurity, whatever it is, it comes through in the comments and, and it's gross. And the question I want to ask to almost all of those angry commenters is, what were you hoping to accomplish with this comment? And it doesn't, usually doesn't go very well when I do ask the question. But really, like, what did you want to do? You wanted to make me feel bad because the guy at the Catholic Church told me that his title is father. And I was like, so you'd like me to call you that then? He's like, well, that is my title. Okay, cool, Father. Well, then what would you like to do with that? Well, of course, then I'm going to get a verse from the Bible. I've heard it. I guess what? I knew the verse. That, that one that in passing says, don't call anybody that. And I, I, yep. Oh, is that there? I wasn't aware. I had never read the Bible, except I have. And I know the verse is there. I, I'm just, I'm trying to be cool to everybody all at once. And 99% of people are like, ah, I see what you're doing. And that's cool. And I would like to be a part of that. And then 1% of people who make it so none of us can have nice things. They, they really want to get worked up and they want to operate from this base of operations on the far end of the distribution of this bell curve. 
mean, the vast majority of people are in the middle, the, the healthy middle of this bell curve. But on that far end, be it a, an angry progressive deconstructionist far end or an angry fundamentalist version of whatever expression of faith they're a part of far end, they want to hold the rest of us hostage and be like, no, no, you cannot get along. You cannot hold convictions about theology and church and yet also try to understand other people's thoughts. You can't have that, and I'm going to make sure you don't get to have it. No, no, so they, the they world like won't get to know that, and I don't you like as it. ones who love one another. No, none of that. Right. Yeah, right. <laughs> none of that for you. I, I can't stress enough. Those people mathematically are a tiny minority That's right. of the interactions that I have. But I am a human. I hope that comes through, even though I'm on the internet here. <laughs> and I... I'd be lying if I didn't admit that those are the comments that stick with me. A yeah. thousand people can jump in and be like, I see what you're doing. This is cool. And here's what I think. We disagree on this. It doesn't matter. This is awesome. High five. And that, that one person comes in and this is stupid, but I'm going to tell you what my vulnerability is right here. They come in and say one of two things. They say, you must either be a liar or you must be an idiot to have said what you just said or did what you did. I'm like there's, there's no third possibility that maybe I just misspoke or that maybe I meant well and I could have articulated that better or maybe another possibility that like, you just didn't like hear it well. Like you're wrong about and maybe you. I'm right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so, and so one of those comments can give me this false impression that, ah, oh, man, the world's burning down. We're never going to be able to put back in the tube the toothpaste that has been squirted out. But I'm doing these videos because I would like to put that toothpaste back in the tube to some extent. And I think there might be a way to do it. I don't imagine I'm some kind of brave leader that can be the guy to do it. But this is a little role that I can play. And I would like to help, Josh. Yeah. I'm, I don't like the status quo idea of saying, well, we had a bunch of fights in 1054 and 1517. And then we had some more fights in the counter-reformation. And then Catholics fought each other about old order versus new order post-Vatican II. And then some of the restorationist groups got in a fight with all of the older Protestants. And now we have fights about whether to integrate with woke culture or not. And I guess we'll just always fight about everything forever. There's this resignedness to it that I don't think is necessary. I think there is this other way where we can get to a place where we identify some boundaries like creedalism. Mm -hmm. Are we talking about the same deity? Because yeah. that's a big, important place to start. Big deal. I don't mean any offense to people who are talking, uh, who are uh, non-Trinitarian, but that, that's a different religion. That's right. It's a religion that overlaps a lot, but it's not credo Christianity. I don't hate you or think you're wrong or have any judgment for you other than the simply taxonomical judgment that that is a different religious exercise than historical Christianity. Okay. So if we talk about the boundaries of credo Christianity, we are all talking about the same deity. Almost all of us are talking about at least one or two of the biblical metaphors, soteriological metaphors for God's work, justification, somehow who Jesus was and is and what he did on the cross and his resurrection, his fulfillment of prophecies about the Messiah, all of that stuff. It initiated a kingdom. We all believe people can be in that kingdom. We all believe that it is by the work of God that happens. Some of us are a little more optimistic about the role of the church as the mediator in getting you into that group. Some of us are a little more optimistic about how much your behavior keeps you in that group. And while I might have strong feelings about that, 
I'm still pretty excited about the fact that we're talking about the same God and roughly the same equation for how this new family of faith, this kingdom of God happens. And so from there, it feels like the next step is understanding on how we got to these differing positions on some of the more nuanced points. And then and only then could we maybe figure out in light of this new knowledge that we have of each other, to what degree we might be able to partner and put some of the toothpaste of brokenness back in the tube. That's great. That's great. Yeah. Uh, let me give you an opportunity to maybe not get a less comments of angry people in the section. You, I think you accidentally said something about non-Trinitarians. I just want to clarify because you said uh, it's a different religion. That much we agree on. I think you said, you said, I'm not saying that you're wrong. You would disagree and say someone who's non-Trinitarian, you would say that they're wrong, right? Oh, I absolutely would. Okay. Uh, I, I, maybe you know, I misheard I, you. There's which a different is... antecedent there that I was picturing in my head, I believe. Yeah. But uh, yes, I would say non-Trinitarians are, are wrong. Are but wrong. you love them. I, well, I, I think that's I what I'm saying. Is yeah. For the sake of this equation, for the sake of this argument, um, I think that a non-Trinitarian is wrong. Yeah. But all I'm dealing with, all I was dealing with in that comment, got it, I remember what I was doing, is just talking about taxonomy. That's right. Taxonomy isn't making a value judgment on who's right and wrong. It's simply making a value judgment on what is thing A and what is thing B. That's what I was trying to say. In that yeah, point. yeah, yeah. I'm just trying to save you from that extra comment because if I heard Thanks. it, someone no, else heard it. Coming. I'm gonna back. Okay, so um, so do you find that these denominations, because you're talking about culture, culture informs language or language informs culture, either or. Um, we're not quite sure which one takes place first, but, but in this kind of denominational divide, have you found that denominations in themselves are divisive by nature or do you feel like the, these denominations actually play a functional role that's necessary for us to collaborate? Um, I, I'd be curious what your thoughts are. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I mean, so if I was going to say um, I've got a church down the road and they're egalitarian, for example, like I think they're Christian brothers and sisters, but like I couldn't go to church there because I'm complementarian, right? And would I work with them? Yeah. Absolutely. And I actually think that we need to be in separate buildings so that we can work together. Um, you know, like if we're going to work on social issues or if we're going to uh, work together uh, to do evangelism or missions or those kinds of things, I would think that we would need to separate so that we could work together. Um, you know, if you're a Pado baptist right? Um, you're dunking babies in a Presbyterian church. Like that would, that would affect my conscience, right? Uh, as, a, as a creedal Baptist. But... I would still want to work with you in spreading the gospel. I would still want to work with you in those kinds of social issues um, that are taking place in America uh, that would be Christian issues. Um, so I find, I find that historically we've been divided, and I think that people look at denominations as like bad and divisive and angry things, but I also see like the utility of having these denominations so that we can work together. Because once we say, okay, we're going to split up so that we can function in different churches. But again, if we agree to these core tenets that we can all we can all work together on, then let's work together on them. Um, those are kind of my thoughts. But I thought it would make for a more spicy turn in our conversation if we disagreed, but we don't. <laughs> I am a huge fan of denominations. Okay. Uh, my read on church history is that they happened much sooner than we like to imagine that they happened. The uh, You've I think got a degree in church history. The Jerusalem, yeah, yeah, that's what I do. 
Yeah, um, yeah. I, I made the, the false assertion that you were just on this journey learning with us because you play the part so well. But, but what's, your, what's your background <laughs> specifically? Uh, my undergrad is in philosophy, history, biblical studies. I went to Trinity College in cool. Deerfield. It's the EFCA, little private liberal arts college there. Yeah, sorry uh, to EFCA derail you. Sorry to derail you. Evangelical Free Church of America. No, it's all good. Then I went to, uh, I did some language school in practical language, like Spanish and stuff like that. And then I went to um, TED's, Trinity Evangelical Divinity School, again in Deerfield, where I did effectively historical theology. And then I went and did my postgrad at Nebraska Kearney in history of the West and Western thought. Okay, so uh, I guess back to that question. You said you think early church, they split up denominationally. And I say split. We might not even call it that. But like, Oh, it wasn't they, a split. They, 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 oh, you'd say they split, for sure split. No, I'm sorry. I, we broke up a little bit on, on our connection. I wouldn't say it was necessarily a split. They just kind think. of unified in different areas. Yeah. yeah. And part of that was just geography. Part of it was the assumptions that existed before. This in itself was a crazy innovation that is part of what resulted in Christianity catching on. Mm. All of these other cults and religions either had to be so vacuous in their central tenets that you could just slap it over the top of anything and it would work out because the religion didn't really claim anything. Artemis is cool. She's great. I mean, that's all they could think to chant. She's super when they were trying to defend why Artemis is so awesome. She's great. She <laughs> makes us money. And that's really all we know about her. She has a bow and maybe a deer or something. There's nothing to it. There are no tenants that would make it difficult to slap Diana or Artemis over an Eastern Mediterranean religion or a Western Mediterranean culture, whatever. Christianity, on the other hand, dang, there's a lot there. There's a, there's a ton of theological nuance, historical nuance, prophetic nuance, doctrine of future things, nuance, how to do personal ethics to keep your community of faith together, nuance. And I don't think that would have worked to take it out everywhere rigidly because this all happened at a time where things still existed in pockets. I mean, you had the unifying force of Hellenism in the fourth century, and then you had the unifying force of Roman law and governmental structure starting in the middle of the first century BC. That was still a relatively new innovation by the time of Christ. And it was only a couple of generations old and was really only getting its feet under it. So you had some stuff that made it all look the same, but overwhelmingly Antioch was still Antioch. That was a really different animal than Jerusalem. Mm -hmm. And Alexandria was very different than Ephesus, crazy different than Ephesus. And that's before we even get into how completely isolated and different the Italian peninsula was. We imagine this world was all the same. It wasn't. And yet, by the efforts of some dude who I imagine to be short and bald and had a thorn, probably literally jammed in his side, because I don't know what else it would be. I mean, I, I'm a Bible literalist. He had a thorn in there. Not. This guy goes around and he explains this ethnically Jewish looking religion to completely different people. And it sticks. They had different concerns. They had a different culture. They had to drop that over the top of in order to make sense. And Christianity proved to be theologically sturdy from the beginning, but also very culturally adaptable. The metaphors of everybody's culture worked to carry the message of the gospel and Christianity 
the social details of everybody's culture could either be conformed to Christianity or confronted by the raw materials of Christianity in a way that would bring about change. And so in a sense, when we get together in Jerusalem 15, we already have denominations in the room and they've figured out, yeah, it might be better that we're down the road from each other, but we can work out these three basic things. We can partner together hardcore. Let's do it. And then the second they get done figuring that out in Acts chapter 15, like the very next anecdote is another church split. <laughs> and right. Paul and Silas can't work together. Or Paul and uh, Barnabas. Paul and uh, Barnabas can't work yeah. together. And so Paul goes with Silas and Barnabas goes with John Mark. And they both go and do great things. And it's clear that they got along from the letters that we read about later. Yeah, he's and so, sending me John Mark. He's worthy for ministry. Yes. Yeah. And I, I love that story. And I was raised on the let's all reduce the intensity of our convictions just feel the Holy Spirit and move on together without really believing anything. That is how the world will know mm. that we are one as Christ and the Father are one. And it's this weird misinterpretation of John 17. And Agreed, I like your man. take way better, Josh. That well, thanks, No, the very way we can partner together is by saying, look, I can't not think what I think. I would love to think what you think, neighboring church, in the name of peace. But I can't think it. I only think the things I think. And that might change over time. But I assume that you're like me and that you can only think the things that you think and have a clean conscience. So let's think the things we think. Let's give each other the benefit of the doubt on being sane and thinking that stuff. And let's partner on every single point we can partner on. So I love denominations because they do exactly what the name advertises. They denominate. They tell you what you're going to get. They tell you where other people align and if you know the beliefs and styles and cultural preferences and nuances of each denomination, it's pretty easy to know exactly where you can partner up and get good stuff done with all of these different groups. Man, we got to, you got to, I'm just thinking of book titles, the common denominator of denominations. No, uh, I'm just, I, I don't know why it's cheesy, but um, what, in your journey is going through all of these these denominations and learning about all this church history, has there been a single point where you go, dang, I think I'm wrong about this one. And like, they got that one right. Like, have you, in this journey, have you been like, and, 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 if, and if you can be vulnerable enough with us, tell us which one that is, if there is any. Yeah, it, it's not quite as simple as, not this was wrong, the correct thing would be this. Mm-hmm. It's more, hmm, your church has the same problem as this other church, but I like the mechanism you built better in terms of how well it works. But I like the theology of the mechanism this other church built better in terms of squaring with the scriptures really neatly. And I will give you an example. I think church discipline is such a weird mess in free-ish evangelicalism. Mm Mm-hmm. It's so hard. You do the Matthew 18 thing and you try to get it right. And you have elders and it's congregational and they're voted on by the congregation. You get everybody together and you don't ever want to have to go to the third nuclear option. But if you do, gross. And then you mix with that, that Midwestern white-ish <laughs> passive aggression, avoid conflict thing that I know we're not supposed to talk about any broad sweeping observations about race or culture, but I, I think it's okay to do so with people who look like me. <laughs> I, think we, I think we have a little bit of a problem with the passive aggressive thing. I, I think we avoid yeah. 
conflict. We don't navigate it always the best. And there's a good other side to that coin too. But when it comes to church discipline, it gets really clumsy with us. And what I notice is that most of the systems from these evangelical reformed-ish middle American kind of churches, there's no end game. They might say there's an end game, but there's not a neat off-ramp. There wasn't in the churches that I pastored, and it burned us. I didn't know how to get off the train when something went sideways. And you want to handle it, right? You don't want to burn anybody down, but I, I don't think I always handled it right. Then I go to a Catholic church. I'm like, you know what? I got this stupid crap from when I was a kid. It nips at my heels. You know, dumb things I said, hurtful things that I did, whatever. The kind of stuff that everybody has that lingers with them. And the, the father there explained all of the stuff about confession. I'm like, I believe in that. I'm also pro-confession. I think we should do that. And that if we confess our sins, that God James is five, faithful yeah. and just to forgive us our sins. I'm, I'm doing that. Great. Oh, that's uh, a different one. <laughs> can a Protestant confess? Is that cool? Can we do that? And he was like, uh, yeah, like it doesn't count like a Catholic confession, but I'll hear your confession. And so he, he was careful to explain that he wasn't breaking any church rules. Uh, he didn't grant me Catholic absolution, I suppose. But we went in the little booth and we talked. And I was like, hey, here's stuff that I freely confess before my king. And, um, and sir, I'm glad you're here to process it with me. I, I'm not sure I understand all of the theology of it, but thank you. And he heard me and he processed that with me in a pretty Catholic context. And I walked out and I thought, okay, I've squared accounts with everyone I've wronged on those things. And then I went into this little box and I talked about that with this guy. And we'll probably never talk about it again, but it feels like that was the off ramp. We said the Lord's prayer together. That's cool. I'm for the Lord's prayer. Yeah. It feels like the matter is closed or closed er. And, and as I've reflected on that, I think there is something to that, whatever it was, 8th century, 9th century continental Catholic innovation that was confession. I mean, they didn't do it like that for all of Catholic history, that they really did scratch an itch. It resolved a problem that existed as Christianity went from being this countercultural outsider expression of life to being, yeah, it's just, this is what you do. This is what you're born into. This is how we do things. People get complacent. They're around each other. We get sideways with each other. We hurt each other. I like the neat, tidy, open and closedness of that Catholic mechanism for dealing with yuck. Mm. Square it up with the person you wronged. Square it up with God and the church in the exact same conversation. Pray this prayer to God that is exactly how he taught us to pray in the Sermon on the Mount and go in the grace and peace of Christ. Mm. Oh, hmm. So those would be more the kind of examples of what I'm seeing where I go and I'm like, ah, I get what this aspect of the liturgy does that you simply can't duplicate with a standard issue bedazzled jeans evangelical service. And I also find myself appreciating more things about what evangelicals and low church types do as I'm like, man, I love that high church service and the order and the liturgy that goes with it. But there is a certain thing, a certain level of heart and vulnerability that is a different tone, a different flavor of heart and vulnerability than you get in the high church liturgical service that can happen in this space over here at this evangelical church I probably would never go to. And so it feels so lazy, Josh, to just do the thing where you're like, well, 
It's a lot to think about, but you know, it takes all types. But the more I do this, the more I'm like, mm, I don't think theologically that group or that group or that group squares as neatly with the Bible as maybe that group or that group or that group. Mm. But I can't just wash my hands of, of any of it within the boundaries of creedalism. It, I guess my answer to your question is, yeah, there've been a lot of little things like that. And though my convictions remain pretty much where they've been, my pride about those convictions, certainty of whatever I think being the lone universal truth that has been shattered. So, I mean, it sounds like you're, it it really sounds like true unity, right? It really sounds like true humility because, you know, I, I always use the illustration of Babel at the Tower of Babel, languages were divided and the nations became divided because languages were divided. And what you do when you say, I'm just going to spend the time to learn the language of that tribe and that community so Mm -hmm. that we can unify and so that we can work together, it actually produces a heart of humility. And I think it produces like this, this like honest anthropology that you're like, oh yeah, I'm broken. And my tribe and tradition comes from broken people as well. And maybe Mm -hmm. we don't have it all right. Um, It's, have you, have you, you know, even in talking about that, you know, and I want to, I want to ask for vulnerability on the other side, because I don't, I don't want to have like this, this, this false sense of, and I, I came from a tradition that was very anti-intellectual, right? Where very much like, oh yeah, like, you know, you're just part of that group and I'm just part of that group and we're just not going to think about it too much and we'll kind of pass each other and say, hey, but, but, but in the back of our head, there's always like this distrust of the other group because we heard that one pastor once say that, you know, all the Baptists do this and all the, all the Pentecostals handle snakes. And if you don't speak in tongues, you're not getting saved. Right. Like growing up in an assemblies of God church, I can't tell you how many people I've bumped into where they're like, yeah, the assemblies thinks you have to speak in tongues to be saved. And I was like, bro, that's like, I know you heard someone say that once in a sermon, but that's not a thing. Um, uh, and I understand where they get that, but it's just, it's just so interesting. Um, do do you think that anti-intellectualism is just kind of a, right now in the West, pervasive in a lot of denominations, and that's what kind of perpetuates this yes. kind of false unity? Yes. It's not just in church, though, man. No, it is everywhere. This is the plague of our age. Yeah. We all got together on the internet effectively 15 years ago. It took us four years to hate each other, and since then, we've abandoned any pretense of let's actually work through the ideas together and develop an ethic of how to move forward together. That's good. And as soon as we started to get discouraged by that, as soon as we got to the point where we had enough people in our internet circles to hear all of these competing opinions, ah, my pastor told us we were right. And now this (laughs) is hitting me like a tidal wave. And for every one comment that I make that is definitely theologically true, 30 people come in here on my Facebook post that was just about my kids and tell me that I was theologically wrong and maybe that do they have a point? Do I need to get mad? What do I do? And the same thing is happening simultaneously with politics. And that underappreciated, painstaking, lifelong labor that each generation has to go through of developing a new ethic of how to function in a world with people who don't think all the same things as you has been accelerated to warp speed at an age where we are maybe less equipped for that exercise than we've ever been in our lives. And then you throw us all in a room together with all of planet Earth 
And very quickly, the spirit of the age has become, man, I'm not doing that work. Screw you people. I'm just going to burn you down. And we're going raw power. And that's the move I see happening in church and out of church is raw numbers, raw power. If you can, I mean, if your group gets really, get your hands on the levels of government or corporate power, and then you can make the world bend to your truth. You can Thanos snap away the ideas and the people you don't like. This is not the way forward in church or out. It will destroy us. Yeah. It is a Pandora's box. And the only way around it is patience. You don't have to solve all the things right now. You do not have to know why the Catholics are wrong about everything right now. Orthodox people, you don't have to know why the Protestants are wrong about everything right now. This can just take a while. It's okay. We don't need to burn down the people who vote the wrong way just yet. These two plants can grow up next to each other to stretch a metaphor from the Bible a little bit. And, and so where there is no patience or willingness to game out the ideas, even though it is very hard and requires change and growth and learning on our part, there still will be that human desire to be right. Mm -hmm. And if we're not going to do the work to figure out whether our ideas pass muster, we're just going to go with the gang mentality. Do a lot of people agree with me? Do I have a place where I'm safe and they'll protect me from the bad outsiders who want to burn down our ideas? Good enough. And so then raw power sits in the place in the minds of most of us in the internet age. That raw power ambition sits in the place where careful thought and patience ought to sit. And so, no, I, I don't see a willingness in the age of the internet to do the work to make this right. But what I do see is optimism that this thing has to run its courts. We will get used to this tool. We mm -hmm. will get used to this connectedness. We will figure out that we have two options. Destroy everyone but our tribe, which means you've got a 99.999% chance of losing and being destroyed, or embrace some patient ethic of tolerance, uh, pluralism, not that you agree with everybody else's ideas, but that you can at least get them and figure out how to work alongside them. And where, where I'm very excited right now is I don't see the political world figuring this out first. I think the church is figuring it out first. I think we will get it dialed first. And I think in the same way that the church was positioned because we figured out the problem with the absolute monarchs and the superpowers first, coming out of the 17th century. We figured it out before the French Revolution. We figured it out before the American Revolution. And we were sitting right there with a, hey, here's a suggestion for how we could do government, how we could do ideas together. Here's this notion of Christian Western tolerance that, hey, you're not going to get everything you want. There are going to be people out there who disagree with you, but here's how we can move forward in peace and we can bless each other. The Christians thought of that stuff. Well, I think we're about to be in a position where we have the constructive proposal to move this conversation forward. I mean, the big conversation about all of the division in society was something we figure out in-house first. And if we do that, if we can solve it with each other, if we can develop this ethic of intellectual live and let live while deeply maintaining our convictions, and then the world sees that, then for the first time in generations, we're doing something in the church that the outside world knows they desperately need and don't mm -hmm. have. And the church and the gospel becomes beautiful 
and attractive again. And we have the moral, philosophical, theological, historical framework all in place, all at our disposal to solve this greatest human crisis of this moment and then to give it away as a blessing to the nations from the church, which I think will point people back toward Christ in a way that none of our silly little books or YouTube programs or anything else can. And uh, I want to play a little part in it. I want to be there for that. Absolutely. And and I think, I think that's, I can say yes and amen to everything you said, but but I want to play the the part of that devil's advocate, right? The, the guy Game in the on. comment section. Let's do it. So if if I'm going to be I'm going to be that guy, I'm going to go. But but what you just described to me, you know, I've got this biblical uh, warning in the scriptures about like this great apostasy that's coming, uh, that many are going to fall away, and like. I really believe that it's good to hold this kind of truth. And I've seen guys start reading these theologians and then they begin to spiral off into like this kind of relativism or this really kind of progressive sort of thinking that, that just dilutes the gospel until it's almost nothing. You know, what you're, what you're advising just sounds like we're going to be nice to everyone and, and we're going to just embrace everyone and call them Christian brothers. And then we're going to lose all of our Christian standards so that, so that we that, that we we actually lose the gospel in trying to gain unity. Um, how, how would you speak to that? Well, first of all, I would say to that person that like three of the things that hypothetical person said we don't want to do and spiral off into are literally fruits of the spirit, things that cannot help but grow and are listed to us specifically as attributes of people who are new creations in Christ and transformed and living out the values of the kingdom. It's a pity that those terms have been so bastardized by this debate that we can't even agree on being excited about things like love and joy and peace and Come patience on. and kindness and goodness and gentleness and self-control. These are inarguably Christian attributes. The world should see them and the world should be on the receiving end of us living those things out toward them. What I would say to that hypothetical comment as well would be, my friend, I would ask for your patience with me. I am not advocating for things that you and I have both seen where the solution effectively, when you really get to the heart of it is the way we're going to get along is by thinking nothing. If you think nothing, why have a church? Why be Christians? Why be anything? Why not just have a giant state that runs everything and dishes out justice according to whatever benefits its own proliferation? That's dangerous and dark. It's the opposite of the kingdom of God. No, we have to think stuff. What I'm saying is we can't help but think stuff. We can't help but have theological convictions. And I think the previous attempts that we've taken at resolving this friction between different expressions of Christianity get two things wrong. Thing number one is to assume that this is bad and not the will of God, that it's bad that we don't all attend the same church in the same culture that we don't all act like we live in first century Syria and therefore we can all embrace the same thing. That's, that's the first problem. I think it's the gospel is infinitely adaptable, not the truth of it, but culturally it fits with everything because it, it scratches the human itch. It solves the human problem as described in scripture. So I don't think it's an accident that we have all these different expressions. I think it's a blessing. And I think all of these different expressions position us better to reach certain people. More on that in a minute. The other thing that I think we've gotten wrong in previous attempts to fix this dividedness within the church is that we did try to do it by pretending we don't think different things. 
by reframing the language a little bit here to frame the pitch like a catcher trying to make a ball on the outside part of the plate look like a strike, we pretend that this idea over here is really the same thing as this idea over here, which is erosive on our ability to even think logically about an ordered universe. Mm -hmm. No, A does not equal B. They're different. The exercise here is not to warp reality through looking at a thing, seeing how it actually is, and then lying to each other about to about it so that we mm -hmm. can feel better. We should look at the thing, see what it is with our eyes, say exactly what it is with our eyes, and then figure out how to work with the reality that somebody sees it different. Okay, that is the ethic that I am proposing is, is that we lean into our convictions harder than we ever have before as different expressions of Christianity. We articulate them more thoroughly than we ever have before. We learn about different people's assumptions in terms of Christian theology more thoroughly than we ever have before. And in that, well, then we're giving, then if we work together, we're saying, I understand you. I know what you believe. I know why you believe. I know that you can't just flip a switch and not think that anymore. And now you know the same thing about me. And yet here we do find unity on exactly who this God is. We're mm -hmm. both naming exactly what we're making of the Bible as a proposition exactly who Jesus is, exactly what he's doing. And I think we can find, I think we can find those points of not cheaply gained commonality, but we can reconnect with those points of profound theological unity. And then when we understand each other, show each other some grace and some patience on those places where we disagree. The key in all of that is, I think somewhere on this spectrum where we've got things that we would say, uh, like creedalism. If you're not this, uh, I want to understand you, but I want to understand you as a different religion because that's a different God than the one that Christians name. And, you know, okay, I might like you. We might be able to get along on some things, but we're doing a different religion. That's on the far end of the spectrum. On the far other end of the spectrum would be like, how long should some lady's hair be? Or uh, should you actually kiss dudes at church to say hello like, I don't know, it's silly little things that might just be a preference in this group or that group. Oh, whatever. Sure. But then there's this real estate in the middle that often gets neglected that would be your degree of certainty real estate. So, for example, I, uh, I like the PCA, the Presbyterian Church of America. Mm -hmm. I do not think their position on infant baptism makes sense, despite all of the time I've taken to try to understand it. Mm -hmm. I think it hinges on a bunch of other theological assumptions. And it's a consequential theology that has to fit with that. My Presbyterian friends would slap me on the back and make fun of me for that and tell me how wrong and misguided I am and how I'll come around someday. I'm comfortable with all of that. <laughs> for me, that does not rise to, well, that's not Christianity if you're baptizing a kid. It also doesn't sink to, oh, well, that's just hairstyles. It's somewhere in the middle. Yeah. But what I would have to acknowledge is, is there a possibility that they're right? Could that be a read on the text and could it be right? It could be. I, I don't think so, but it could be. Whereas if I run into somebody who's a, um, a oneness theologian, is there a possibility that Jesus isn't God? Nope. Yeah. No, biblically there isn't. Yeah, it no, looks I, like I, modalism, I, quacks like modalism, and they're going to call it Trinitarianism. Nah, we're not, we're not down. It's just a different animal. Yeah. And 
And I think that little tiny nuance of difference is where we see the light that we can exploit to get through the gap and make this thing better. If I can at least acknowledge that though I'm pretty sure that ain't it, it is at least within the realm of possibility within the boundaries of the text that that is the truth. That is the way. Then I might not want to go to your church, but man, I'm sure going to root for you. And I think we can partner on a whole bunch of stuff. Whereas the hard line would have to be, like, there's just no way it can be that thing. And, and so I, so outline some of that again, for us. I, I this would be a good place. This would be a good place for you to outline us for us if you can. And I don't mean to cut you off. I just know that we only have like 10 minutes left. If I've got a person out there and they're like, hey, I want to work with this person that is in a different denomination, but I'm not sure if they're Christian. Like they, they, they hold this belief that is so contrary to my upbringing, to my tradition, to the way that I see scripture. It's so very, very different to everything I've believed in. And I can actually see some of what they believe in church history. Um, right. So like mm-hmm. if I'm, if I'm mega Protestant, I'm like, Hey, uh, and I'm, I, I find myself in the mega Protestant tradition uh, where I go, you know, uh, it's not by works that you're saved. And then a Lutheran comes in and starts talking about regenerative baptism. And then I got a couple of Christian friends who are like, that sounds like a work that you have to do to be saved. And I go, I don't know. You know, like, like if, if we kind of get into that kind of situation, how do you define what is Christian and what is not help that Help that person in the comment section who wants to unify but doesn't yeah. doesn't know where that borderline is. Let's run with that example you just gave, Lutherans and regenerative baptism. Sure. We have to acknowledge that some of that is semantic. For those of us who I think rightly want to say, man, grace of, of Christ plus nothing, that is, that's how salvation happens. Yeah. Well, yeah, anything that involves any action that even illustrates that, it's going to seem weird, yet it looks like baptism is biblically the very obvious thing you do to be like, so I'm a Christian and I'm in with that. I follow Jesus in baptism. So semantically, the, the Lutheran might look at that and say, well, you're not really saved by baptism, but baptism is part and parcel of what it is to be a Christian. There's, there is a semantic element to these things that if we enter the conversation with grace, we might come away with the same conviction and say, I still think that's a work. But we have to understand they don't think that's work-based salvation. Mm -hmm. So we agree that we want the same thing, me and a Lutheran who might believe in some something I could call regenerative baptism. Because sola fide and sola gratia were actually articulated by this guy named Luther. (laughs) Whose name is on the expression of the religion. That's right. That's right. Yeah. (laughs) So there again, that semantic benefit of the doubt, trying to find those places where, okay, we want to be saying the same thing. We are going for the same thing. That has a lot to do with it. Now, this is something I have to deal with, Josh. I have a ton of people who watch these videos, and because I, I don't offer really a ton of pushback, they're not debates with these different churches. Right, right. I enjoy those conversations. It's not what I'm doing in these videos. Um, a lot of people watch them. They're like, well, looks like that 10-minute Bible hour guy signed off on that. I respect him. And I'm looking for a new way of doing faith and being revitalized. I'm going to shoot him an email and be like, guess what? I am now a part of this version of Christianity thanks to your video. And I think to myself, I, I wasn't trying to get you to sign up for that, <laughs> that version of Christianity. That might not be my first choice for yep. you. But at the same time, it made perfect sense for who that person was. And so in answering your question, here would be example number two. Say he Duran is a lady who 
pastors a church in Springfield, Missouri. It's an AG church, and it, it is intentionally a multicultural church. She is busting her butt to connect with people on the fringes of society who've immigrated to that part of the world. It's amazing what she is doing there. I have not gone toe-to-toe with her theologically to examine her and sort through every single thing that she thinks. I assume we disagree about several things. What I do know, though, is I tend to be effective in talking with people who look and sound like me from Western culture and who think critically and skeptically about stuff and who are at a certain place in life. I don't get a lot of messages from immigrants to this country who feel on the fringes of society and don't have time to sit around and watch YouTube videos because they're Mm. frantically trying to provide for their family saying, I watched your video on the historical medieval legends on Pontius Pilate. And now (laughs) I want you to know I've become a believer in Christ. I've never had that email. I'm not well positioned to reach that Saudi Arabian immigrant, but say he is. People from Saudi Arabia moved to Missouri and became Christians at her church. Are you kidding? And so I talk with somebody and they're like, well, she's a heretic. I, I reject this. I don't care what she's doing. She's a heretic. She should be brought up uh, under church discipline because Paul said that he will not allow a woman to teach and this other language. And I might think, you know what? Let's say for the sake of argument that I agree that that complementarian read is the most natural read on the text for the sake of argument. I would hope that I would then have to look inside myself and say, when's the last time I did that? Am I positioned to reach people that she's positioned to reach? Come on. Look, maybe I don't want to go to that church, but somebody needs to do something. And she did something. Not, not even that I can't do, but if I'm to be completely honest about the difference between me and Sehi Duran at that AG church, It's something that I won't do. I don't want to go and reach the Saudi Arabian immigrant because I don't know their culture. I'm already super invested in trying to do something else kingdom wise. I don't want to reset my whole mechanism and try to figure out how to speak that cultural language and be effective there. I I don't want to. If you gave me another lifetime, I'd probably want to, or maybe I would use that lifetime on that, but I use my lifetime on this, which means I can't do and don't have the will to do what she can't help but do. She's creedal. She's Trinitarian. She believes the Bible is from God and accurate and truthful. She's crystal clear on what the gospel is and what it is for someone to be a new creation in Christ. And she reads that passage about uh, gender roles in ministry, maybe differently than hypothetical me or somebody else does. How closely can I partner with her? I would argue pretty closely. Yeah. Even though we disagree on sign gifts and maybe other things, because I can't do it without her. I'm not positioned for that. That's good. That's good. Man, I really like that. And uh, uh, so so typically what we like to do at the end of a program is kind of give those like that golden thought, that kind of golden nugget, if you will. It seems like our conversation is, has been less on uh, even just you and your story. And, and it's kind of become more good. on denomination and denominationalism and like, where does that unity lie? Probably end up renaming this video for people who are watching. Uh, but uh, man, I, I think that the conversation is super rich. It's super enlightening. I think people 
are really hungry for something like this because it's a real unity. It's a real authenticity. But but one of the things that we like to do is just kind of give that like a little golden nugget at the end of the show. What's that one thing you want people walking away with, thinking about meditating on uh, as they kind of walk away from this discussion? What would you have them do? Maybe a piece of literature you'd have them read, uh, you know, places you'd have them go. I, I definitely will link uh, Matt's channel in the description uh, here. So if you guys want to go check him out on his YouTube channel, that will be in the description of this video if it's not already. Uh, but Matt, what, what are your thoughts? What's that one thing you want people walking away with? The end of Matthew chapter nine, Jesus looked at the first century world in his neck of the woods. And I picture him shaking his head, but also having his eyebrows going up in the middle. I can't quite do it, but as one who has empathy and he looks at him and muses these people, they're harassed and helpless. They're like sheep without a shepherd. And rather than being mad that they were dumb or their opinions were wrong or that they couldn't see the signs and immediately know that he was the Messiah and get their religion right and their philosophy right and their politics right. He just felt empathy and grace and compassion toward them. And then he turns to his disciples and he's like, hey, pray, pray to God that you know, workers will be raised up to do something about this. And then from there on out, we just keep seeing these expressions of compassion, even as the tension ratchets throughout Matthew and more people want to kill Jesus. He still has this same take, this same ethic, this same outlook on people who for him, it's not, could they be wrong? If they don't think what he thinks, they are wrong. And, and yet even with that level of certainty, he's still compassionate. I think that our brand of disappointment and disaffectedness and confusion and harassed and helplessness today is different than the brand they were dealing with in the first century a little bit, whether you're in the church or outside of it. I think we are paralyzed by the number of options that are in front of us. I think we live in a world made very rapidly too small for our comfort by the internet. And as a result, we're exposed to a bajillion other ideas and traditions that have been cultivated over hundreds or thousands of years. And I think that even our anger betrays the fact that we feel dismay and hurt and confusion over the reality that other people can hold convictions about the same Christ as deeply as we do. And those convictions seem so far afield from what we believe. I have been encouraged as I have talked with people from these other traditions to come to a place where I am inching toward not so much viewing the people who see it differently as something that spirals me into confusion and hurt and causes me to question everything about who I am and instead to find common cause and empathy with them and to say, okay, I get how you got there. But I also talked to these people down the road and I get how they got there. I know where I disagree. I know why I disagree, but I also know how this happened. And I think in that very convictional Christian unity that has been inflicted on me by simply me trying to make a few videos. I didn't know it was going to go here. I'm, I feel the beginnings of encouragement instead of this ongoing despair that I think has been underlying for many of us during the age of the internet, as we feel overwhelmed and discouraged by how much difference there is out there. I think this is a process that is going to lead to encouragement. And I think rather than being, sad or frustrated that there's so much disagreement, we should be excited about the fact that God has found a way to drop the gospel over the top 
of a bajillion different cultures and that in some core way it has worked everywhere. And in some way it worked in whatever culture you're a part of or whichever one I'm a part of. And we're all products of that. I don't think the status quo then based on the optimism of Jesus and the compassion of Jesus, I don't think the status quo is it. I don't think we're done with this conversation. I think there is blessing and a sustainable convictional effective unity ahead. And I think we should not give in to despair, but should lean into optimism. That's great, man. I love it. You know, it's, it's just that, that hard truth that we keep coming face to face with is that there is a true objective reality. There are, there are perfect standards of theology, but then we have a humble anthropology. We have a humble view of ourselves that we go, oh yeah, I'm broken. Yeah, there's objective truth out there, but I'm also yeah. broken and I have to yeah. I have to come face to face with that and and realize that yes, the scriptures are my authority. Yes, what what God has said is absolutely 100% and I would I would place in the yeah. inerrantance camp say absolutely yeah. true in every way. Um but I recognize in that that human history displays that there's a broken anthropology and that many of us understand the scriptures in different ways because of that. Now, if we were all perfectly holy as Christ is, we'd all have one understanding of what the scriptures say, but, but it's my, it's the humility of realizing my own frame that goes, man, I want to learn and I want to study and I want to reach out to these different groups and learn from their tradition uh, because I want I want to be humble in my anthropology. I want to go, man, maybe they're right about this. Maybe I'm wrong, um, you know, and, and really come face to face with that. But in the midst, of, like, so real unity has, I feel like, that level of humility with it where it goes, I could be wrong about this. Um, and yeah. I think that when you're willing to have a conversation with someone and they can tell that you think that you might be wrong about this, like I, I haven't gotten to a, like an angry, heated debate with a Calvinist in forever um, because I start the conversation explaining the brokenness of my frame. And I go, look, guys, I could be a Calvinist tomorrow, right? I just can't see this point. I can't, I want to see it. I just can't see it. And like, if you become a Calvinist to, tomorrow, it means you actually became a Calvinist before the foundations of the earth were that, put in place. That's the, true. The yeah, God is most glorified in me when I am the most Calvinist in him. Um, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, but seriously, I, I think that having that level of anthropology, it, it diffuses yeah. the conversation. And I think that's what we need yeah. right now is we need to have conversations of honesty and humility with one another going, I think I could be wrong about this. Um, so man, super, super encouraged, super, uh, 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 inspired by, uh, your ministry, Matt. And I really enjoyed our conversation today. I, I know that people in the comment section right now are, are loving it. So I want to thank you guys who are watching. I want to thank you, Matt, for coming on. Uh, and for, for those of you who have been blessed by this episode or other content we've done, I just encourage you again, we're entirely crowdfunded. You can give in the links of the description, either on PayPal or Patreon. Great stuff coming on on Patreon. We just released a video today. Uh, a, a buddy who came from a Reformed tradition. Again, talk about cross-pollination here. Guy came from the Reformed tradition, went to Bethel School of Supernatural Ministry, uh, and he gives us his take on that experience. Uh, that is over there on Patreon. Lots of really cool stuff on Patreon like the Kingdom of the Cults book that we're going through, reading each individual chapter of that, discussing it at Saturdays at 1 p.m. The Zoom links are uploaded there on Patreon. So if you want to be a part of some of those discussions, see some of those videos, uh, it's over there. As low as five bucks a month, you can be a part of that. But I also want to encourage you, if you can't afford five bucks a month, I get it. 
I've been so poor my baloney doesn't have a first name, so I've been there, done that. Uh, and if you want one of these videos that I've mentioned, just shoot me an email, media at theremnantradio.com. I want to send it over to you. I uh, never want to prevent you from really like growing in these areas just because you can't afford it. So uh, anyway, guys, blessings. Thank you so much. And we'll see you tomorrow at 4 p.m. Central Standard Time. We're having a conversation about devils. So we'll see you then. want to thank Kairos Classrooms for sponsoring this episode of Remnant Radio. And if you're out there, you've ever wondered, hey, I wonder if learning a biblical language would be a supplemental tool for me to help me in my biblical studies. Well, you need to check out Kairos Classrooms. They offer Greek and Hebrew classes that can help teach you and train you. It's a live classroom environment with actual students and actual live teachers, and they help teach you the biblical languages of Greek and Hebrew. You need to check out Kairos Classrooms today. There's a link in the description, and you can use the promo code REMNANT to get 10% off. These classes are already crazy affordable, but with the promo code REMNANT, R-E-M-N-A-N-T, you'll get 10% off of Kairos Classrooms. So check that out today. And thank you so much for Kairos for sponsoring this episode of REMNANT Radio.